TCU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome in to Hoist the Colors on this Wednesday, November 29th edition of the show. We got in the title today that Silly Season Continues. If you're unfamiliar with that, this is Silly Season of College Football because you got the transfer portal already blowing up. And uh, and it's one of those things where coaching carousel is happening as well. And it's hard to follow everything. I'll be honest. I'm trying to keep up with the ECOC search. I'm trying to figure out what players are going to enter the portal when the portal officially opens on Monday. And right now, that's something where I can't really pinpoint what's happening because it's just all over the place. We got Bobby Howard in studio with us. We also have got Philip Pilkington producing. We're trying to also work on technical things as we start the show and uh, figure that out. But either way, I can hear Bobby. He can hear me. What's up? What's going on, Bobby? Um, happy to be back. It is silly season. I feel like every time I get on Hoist the Colors and, and look at the transfer portal thread. Sam Anderson has posted a new name. Uh, that is 100% at, at least probably three to five uh, to be accurate. So, I mean, guys are going in the transfer portal left and right. So that's exciting. Rumor mill, obviously, we're looking for an offensive coordinator here, specifically at ECU. Uh, but also excited to see, you know, some of the conference impacts. Does Willie Fritz get the Duke job? Or, you know, do, do any other conference mate? Does Jeff Trailer at, at UTSA leave? I know Houston's been thrown into the mix there. Uh, so just kind of interested to see the landscape of college football as a whole, as well as how it pertains specifically to ECU. We are live on YouTube, live on Facebook, live on Twitter, and we've got uh, all sorts of VIP threads going to hoist the colors about the OC search. I know a lot of people want to know what's going on there. We'll start there. I don't have any names I can share right now. I can say that there is interviews uh, ongoing starting this morning uh, over at ECU with Mike Houston interviewing offensive coordinator candidates. We've heard rumblings of Chad Morris potentially being involved, former SMU uh, head coach, former uh, Arkansas coach, have not been able to confirm if he's actually involved or not, but he's just a guy that's been tossed around uh, in you know kind of the coaching circles. We've heard some other names as well, but I, just the sense I get, Bobby, is – you know, Coach Houston said earlier this week he wants a more he wants a much more aggressive variation of what they were in twenty twenty two, basically. When you hear that, what kind of goes through your mind? Yeah, I think they want to use a lot more, uh, I would imagine, motion. Um, they, they want to use all – threaten all areas of the field. So, every, you know, that's vertically, obviously, you know, with big plays down the field, but also horizontally and just stretching the defense, putting them in binds. Um, you know, I feel like even in 2022, I know we had a great year statistically, but there was a lot of vanillaness to the offense. And we've talked about it at nauseum how, you know, the good players covered up a lot of the scheme issues that they had. Um, you know, one thing I was told when I first got into coaching was it's, it's the Jimmy's and the Joe's, not the X's and the O's. And I, and I think that's a big part of it. Um, but you know, scheme does play a factor in there and, and just seeing a guy, you know, I guess more modernized is something that comes to mind or a term that comes to mind, um, in, in terms of, again, and that just goes down to using all inches and threatening all inches of the field. And it's, you know, I made the comment, I've made the comment. 
Donnie Kirkpatrick's offense it certainly was not bad at all when he had the players. But it, it, as we saw this past year, when you don't have the players and when you have some moving parts on the coaching staff, you know, it, it, it plummeted the way it did. I think more times than not when they faced teams where they had equal talent or more talent on the other side, this offense struggled to score points. So how much do you feel like scheme can change that perception of things? Because I, you're always going to have talent winning out more times than not, but how much can just spreading the ball out, using motion, misdirection, maybe going more up-tempo. Like, how much can those things kind of neutralize, and how, how important is that in this OC search? Yeah, I mean, it's extremely important at a place like ECU because you are not getting those five-star, those blue-chip guys coming here. That's just the reality of it. Um, you know, you're getting those third-tier guys more often than not. Uh, you know, with level one guys going to, obviously, SEC Big Ten, and then you have level two guys going to some of the other power fives, maybe one or two uh, seep through the cracks there. But, you know, it, it really – what it does is it helps – having a, a good scheme helps mask some of your deficiencies offensively. Um, and I'll just revert back to somewhat recent Lincoln Riley because I was on staff with him here at ECU. And he's fairly recent. We've seen him have success. But, you know, why he was here at ECU it was a lot of 10 personnel um, – there was 11 personnel mixed in there, and for those who don't know personnel, uh, 11 is one running back, one tight end. And even in 11 personnel, it was Bryce Williams, and we would split him out you know, out wide a lot of the times. But it was a lot quick intermediate passes. Shane, as great as he was, didn't have the best arm strength in the world, uh, but he knew what to do with the football. Uh, we threw quick throws, get the ball out to you know hide some of the deficiencies up front with our offensive line. Let our playmakers at receiver, who we were able to recruit, those guys uh, make plays with the football. And as you saw when Lincoln left here and went to places like Oklahoma and USC, he did a lot more 12 personnel, 21 personnel, those sort of things. The heavier pro-style personnel sets that you see, you know, he still had the foundational pieces and, and concepts from the air raid, but he did evolve to, you know, a little bit more heavier personnel, a lot more gap scheme run game, those sort of things that fits the style of player they are able to recruit at that level. When I heard Coach Houston make the comment, too, he said he wants somebody that fits us, and he, he made sure to – to say not me, but East Carolina and the culture here, that gave me hope that maybe he looked at past ECU offenses, saw maybe what worked, and just talking to him a little bit on the side, he said he has watched a ton of film of potential OC candidates. So it's not like he's just going off names, bios. He went into the film lab. My understanding is this has been something really that's been worked on behind the scenes for a while. I think – I think Donnie was always going to either A, retire, or mutually part at the end of the year, and I think they've kind of known that for a number of weeks now. Uh, it, it happened in the fashion it did because of how the Navy game went for a variety of reasons, but this has been worked on a while. Houston also made the comment on the coach or so Monday, I've been working on this a lot longer than people realize, which leads me to you know believe that as well. So I think he's really dove into that aspect of things. I, th I do think ECU will look very different, and it's just a matter of who ends up being the hire. Uh, and as, as we get some of those names, I think as we go into Thursday, Friday, we'll start to really learn who the possibilities are uh, as far as an offensive coordinator. But you look at it, Bobby. He went when he got when, when he made the move with Trot. He went younger. Not that Blake Carroll is the youngest guy in the world, but he was an up and comer. They did have familiarity together. 
you would think offensively he might look at some older candidates, but maybe you want that energy as well. And he said yesterday on Talk of the Town, he's looking for high energy on the offensive side of the ball too. Yeah, and that's going to be the complete opposite of what you had, you know, in recent the last few years here. And you look at the NFL landscape and when and owners make new hires and stuff, a lot of times when you hire, you hire the exact opposite of what you had. And I think that's the same case here. And the other reason having a young energy guy is so important is because in a year where they know they have to make such a drastic turnaround, they have to hit the portal hard and they have to have a high energy guy that is going to be able to attract portal uh, transfers and recruits that may not necessarily uh, – you know, have ECU super high on the list, but hey, I can relate to that coach. I would love to play for him. I love the energy he brings. I love the idea of what he can do with me in that scheme and and having a high energy guy who can relate to those players and be able to bring them in for a quick turnaround is going to be important. You, you can't have an old guy that's just no kind of like sitting there uh, boring the crap out of you um, and just say, okay, I'm going to go here so I can play FBS football. You want to have a young, energetic guy that's going to get the best out of you. And again, nothing against Donnie Kerbatcher, who we both love and, uh, you know, greatly respect. Tremendous coach. It's one of those things where I went out to practice defense, which is always going to have more energy for, for various reasons. But defensively, man, it was just such a strong culture. You could see it in practice. You could see it on game days. It carried into the games. And offense, to me, they never had that step, especially after Holton and those guys left. Like, they kind of brought that on juice. Like, C.J. Johnson – brought a ton of juice to the practice field. I just didn't see that outside of Rajay Harris this past year, like trying to rally the guys, man. It was a major missing component. So honestly, they need it from a quarterback in an OC. Absolutely. I think that's going to be kind of one of the important factors when you recruit a quarterback is uh, making sure you bring in an alpha. And I know, you know, it's been mentioned both in John Gilbert's uh, media sessions here recently, as well as Mike Houston's, like when they recruit the portal, you have to be very careful that you're bringing in a guy that fits your culture. Um, you know, it's very easy to get distracted by the five-star high school recruit uh, who may be a turd. So you just want to bring in a guy that you know is going to fit and mesh in with the locker room well. One thing I thought that was really cool that I think Houston mentioned it on his um, radio show with y'all Monday night is how – you know, the, the leadership council that they have there at ECU right now said, we want you to bring in someone that fits us. And I thought that was, you know, speaks to uh, really just the importance of that locker room and the integrity of it to those guys currently on the roster. Bobby Howard is with us, Philip Pilkinson producing. And yesterday, Bobby, we were on the air when the news broke. Mason Garcia had entered or announced his – I always – this whole announce you're going to enter the portal but can't enter the portal until Monday thing, I guess like it's just a technicality. But either way, he announced his intentions to enter the transfer portal beginning Monday because he's an undergraduate and you can't enter until Monday in that case. What did you make of that? Kind of expected, I said. Uh, did you, you know, were you surprised at all with that decision? Not at all. I, I mean, I kind of looked to my expectation going into this silly season of transfer portal was Raheem Jeter's the lone guy that you're going to have that's on the existing roster in that quarterback room. I still believe that will be the case. I know Alex Flynn hasn't made any decisions yet, but I mean, just based on assumption and the way things are looking with offensive coordinator search and the way things ended last year and just, you know, I mean, Alex Flynn is pretty realistic. I think he knows the NFL is not in his future. I don't even know if he desires to do that. And uh, the fact that he can go ahead and start his life and move forward, uh, kudos to him. And if he does want to come back and play more quarterback, 
I, I think he wants to shot at the starting job. And realistically, is that going to happen? I think realistically, that's probably why Mason Garcia transferred. And I still think if he goes to the right situation, system, coaching staff, he can be successful in a certain system. But, you know, Mike Houston is not going to go into next year with Alex Lynn and Mason Garcia as his two options at quarterback again. So if they wanted the chance to play, and definitely Garcia had to move on. Flynn, he could always stick around, compete for the job. But I still think if he wants to be guaranteed a starting job, he's going to have to go somewhere else. And that, that could play a role, too, because he'd be going into year six of college. Right. Yeah, I, I foresee seeing, you know, Mason Garcia specifically at, at the FCS level or Division Two level. I think that's where he's going to get the opportunity to, to play and hopefully find a place that really fits his talent and fits what he does uh, well in his skill set. But, yeah, I mean, if you're Mike Houston <laughs> – I'm glad he's being direct with these guys and not just selling them on a dream and saying, yeah, you'll compete, da 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 da, da. I mean, real, in all reality, you have to bring in two guys in the transfer portal that you know and feel comfortable with competing for the starting job. We saw a couple of offensive linemen enter as well. Isaiah Foots, former starting guard. Uh, kind of a mutual parting there from everything I heard. Just Was your one returning starter, Bobby, on this year's offensive line? And for whatever reason, it just... Did not mesh. He had offseason shoulder shoulder surgery. Jacob Sacra, Dustin Hall ended up starting over him, the transfer from USF. So I expected that as well. And, you know, Elisha Samples, a, a redshirt freshman offensive lineman, entered. And really no big surprises at this point outside of maybe Tegan Wilk last week. And the vibe I get, again, right now, most of the guys, all the guys you want to keep really – are committed to coming back, things can always change. Again, the portal hasn't even officially opened yet. But things are going on behind the scenes where you're getting a gauge on do guys want to come back or not. And right now, it seems like the guys you want to keep are in, which I think is very important. And I think speaks, again, to the culture that is in place here. Guys don't want to leave. Uh, Obviously, there's still you know, what, 30 days left of this, uh, really, that haven't even started yet of the transfer portal. The biggest concern you have as a coach is, you know, when these guys go home for Christmas break, who's in their ear, Who, what family members are talking to them and saying, hey, you can play here, da-da-da-da-da. Well, they need to, you know, make the decision themselves, A, and also come to grips with reality because I, I know you reposted this, and I think one of your – uh, 247 colleagues said this, a lot of these guys that go into the portal don't end up playing again because they don't get picked up. Um, so, again, that's just something that hopefully as the portal and NIL, NIL life continue, you know, these these recruits see that's those statistics of, you know, guys aren't getting picked back up. Uh, and, and to me, too, in terms of surprises within ECU, Really, anything surprising to me would be, you know, in the too deep on the defensive side of the ball. I think offensively, you know, we kind of, outside of Chase and and Javius Bond, I think, you know, anybody else who wants to leave is, you know, not too much of a hurt. Obviously, some of those O-linemen that said they're going to stay is is great from, at the very minimum, depth experience experience depth um, in that OL position room. Yeah, I mean, we we all know that it's going to be – a total reset to an extent on offense. And the other thing too is you got to look at the numbers. People are people that don't really follow that closely. They see such and such enter the portal and like, Oh, it's a sinking ship. He's trying to get off. I'm like, no, like he's leaving so he can play or he's leaving. Cause he doesn't like the situation anymore. This happens everywhere. And it's going to happen to ECU because you only got 12, 13, 14 seniors 
you're bringing in a class of 20 high school guys right now. You're going to add some JUCO guys. You're going to recruit the portal. You can only have 85 scholarships, so there has to be movement somewhere, Bobby. I mean, you can't just have 110 guys going to spring football on a scholarship or projected. So there are guys that are being asked to move on that go into the portal. It's not just them leaving because it's a, a bad situation. That's what I was just going to say is guys are going to be asked to leave, and I think a vast majority of the ones you've – seen already enter the portal from the ECU side. My understanding is they've been encouraged to go ahead and, and move forward. And <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and that's not a bad thing for those guys either. It gives them the opportunity to go play uh, and play the sport that they love, get some playing time, uh, just doing it elsewhere. All right. Bobby brought to you today by Basil's Restaurant and Pizza Pizzeria. You can check them out, 1675 East Fire Tower Road. By the AMC Movie Theater, great spot for lunch or dinner. Check out their sandwiches, their pizza, their pasta, salads, all great stuff. Again, 1675 East Fire Tower Road, Basil's bringing you Bobby Harward and today's uh, show. We got the new all-conference teams just dropped. We'll, we'll address that on the other side. East Carolina, despite a 2-10 and ten season, well-represented on the defensive side, Bobby, as you would imagine. As expected. <laughs> we'll get into those names when we come back, we will also get Bobby's take on yesterday's John Gilbert press conference and talk more throughout the show. We also, at some point, got to get to David Tepper and the Carolina Panthers so Yikes. Bobby <laughs> and Philip can rant about that. This is Hoist the Colors on a Wednesday. This is ECU head football coach Mike Houston, and you're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Welcome in, Hoist the Colors. On this Wednesday, silly season is upon us. Transfer portal, Palooza. Already happening. It officially opens Monday, but you're getting guys announced now. We just touched on that a little bit. OC search ongoing at ECU. We got some information on that on the Hoist's Colors message boards and more. Still trying to confirm some names in the mix there. Bobby Harward is in studio. Philip Pilkington is producing. Bobby brought to you again today by Basil's. Check them out, 1675 East Fire Tower Road by the AMC Movie Theater. All right, Bobby, did you get the chance to watch the press conference of John Gilbert yesterday, the State of the Pirate Address, I guess is the official name, but he spoke for about 30 minutes on a variety of topics. And did you have any takeaways? I did watch it, not just once, twice. Twice, wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. I didn't even watch it twice. I, I was an overachiever <laughs> because I watched it yesterday, and then when I messaged you asking, you know, what, what was the plan for today, uh, I wanted to refresh you a little bit. You did your homework. Yeah, I'm going to make sure I'm, you know, uh, up to standard here on the radio show. Uh, Joey football sets such high standards that I have to try to it's live tough up to. tough to beat, man. I know. Uh, but in all seriousness with uh, John Gilbert, A, it – to me, it, the biggest takeaway is he has the I, – I don't want to say that on the air, but you know he has the courage to stand up in front of Pirate Nation and talk and take, take questions, especially after a difficult season. So not many ADs, I don't think, do that. So the fact that he does – He wanted him, to do it. Right. Yeah. So I think respect to him there. That's kind of my first takeaway from, from that. Uh Number two, uh, just his calmness, his demeanor of the athletic director, like he seemed comfortable up there. Uh, and I'm relating to that to the AD that was in that spot beforehand. Jeff Comfer um, wasn't comfortable? <laughs> no, it's Voldemort. We don't say that name here. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Uh, so, 
he uh yeah just a lot more comfortable his voice wasn't shaky the other thing is he understood the rules of recruiting in college football and how that works uh those who do not know the former athletic director when he fired rough had no idea there was a junior uh college signing period in december so um just kind of goes with the wherewithal of who was and who was leading that department and regime beforehand um so the fact that John Gilbert has just really an understanding of the college football landscape, recruiting-wise, everything like that. Uh, biggest takeaway, obviously we know Mike Houston's staying. We kind of expected that. But Mike Houston is going to be the guy hiring his offensive coordinator. Um, I think that is how it should be. And I say that because if he was going to if, – if Gilbert was going to override him, why not just go ahead and fire Mike Houston? Yeah, if you don't trust your head coach to make the hire. Right. And I love the idea that, hey, I'm going to have, you know, I'll throw my two cents in there, but ultimately it's Mike Houston's hire. And I, I think that's how it should be. Um, I know that's not going to please the uh, many in Pirate Nation uh, who want Mike Houston fired. But again, for this to be a working relationship and be successful, you got to trust who you're going to hire. And I think it's one of those things, I, there was a lot of blowback from some of the fans who felt nothing was really said. And, I, I just think you, you reach a point as a fan where they probably won't change as head coach. That's not going to happen. So no matter what is said, they're not going to be happy. And I get that. Like nobody's going to be happy to win football games in that in that boat. But like, what do you, what did you expect them to say? Like, man, I'm not sure if Mike Houston's the right guy. We're going to give him another, another year because of the contract. Like he's not going to come out and say that. He's got to have his head coaches back. And two. You do have to sell the vision for next year. Part of that is getting NIL money. A lot of people weren't happy with how much he mentioned NIL. I say on the show every day, you got to mention NIL more and more because people don't understand it enough. So I just didn't see any problem with how he addressed the press conference. Not at all. I, I mean, I, I was actually – to me, I took a lot more out of it than kind of I expected, being, being honest. I mean, yeah, NIL is something you have to mention daily because, A – you don't know how many new people are listening, so people hearing about NIL for the first time. I know some of us fans are, you know, watching shows, this show in particular, daily on the message boards daily. So, yes, we see it over and over and over again. But there's the casual fans who step in and, and are, like, trying to figure out what's going on with ECU. And, and NIL is important in this day in college football. Um, I'm glad to see that even though he works uh, for the university and is tied in with the Pirate Club, that he's pushing Team Boneyard over everything, uh, which is encouraging because, to me, again, that's a sign that he gets it. I mean, the most relatable thing to me that he said was sitting on the beach going yeah, through 100%. the schedule. Like, dude. The Counting them up. Yes, the amount of times that I, laughed I when did he said that, that. Like, not on the beach particularly, but just like laying on the couch, you know. Going that's a win. That's a win. And nobody had two wins. I mean, 100%. I mean, I said three and nine, and Michael Jones, who I said just made a comment, he just made a comment, was criticizing me. Love you, Michael Jones. I love your interaction on the show. And just joking about how, you know, I'm seeing Greenville burn to the ground. But that's just kind of the way I saw the schedule playing out. And we didn't even achieve three and nine. So, um, look, I thought it was very. They understand. They get it. It wasn't a blow smoke thing. Like I took away. Okay, we know, and we are understanding and self reflective of where we're at, and that things need to get better. And Gilbert said, and his uh, administration said, going to the press conference, he'll stand up there and ask answer questions as long as you guys want him to. So 
it's not like he was like putting out some fluff statement and then you know behind a computer and, and then left. So I mean he he stood in front of the media. You know the, there could have been more questions asked. We went thirty minutes, which is you know quite a bit of time for a press conference. But I thought it was just I, I thought it was fair. Uh, Michael says what was clear from Gilbert's words were there were not a large segment of fans telling him they support Mike Houston. I mean he did make it clear that he's had to deal with a lot of calls about how disappointed people are. I mean, 2-10, and ten, record-wise, it's one of the worst seasons in program history. There, there shouldn't be a lot of people happy. I mean, if they're, if you're not getting those calls or there's people that are content with that, then I think that's a larger issue. Agreed. And I think he, you know, mentioned this in his press conference. One of the things that makes ECU so special is the passion of the fan base. And, you know, you have to take the good and also take the bad. So when things are not going well like they aren't, you have to be able to take that blowback. And, you know, I think, again, they're just being self-reflective. To your point about taking questions, we saw it yesterday at 1030 in Charlotte. The owner there cuts the press conference off 10 minutes in and doesn't answer anything. He talks about bringing concerts to Charlotte like they've never had concerts before in that city. So, um, again... I know a lot of people are frustrated just from a wins and losses perspective, but to see what Gilbert has done with the program, the athletic department as a whole, I've been happy. I know there's some things scheduling-wise that you would like to see more proactive, uh, maybe some conference realignment stuff. That was another takeaway I had, as he said, conference realignment isn't over. So, um, you know, I'm kind of just intrigued. The silly season, like we're talking about transfer portal stuff, obviously conference realignment fits right in there. Jack Bowen, speaking of that, says Gilbert was better than Tepper at addressing the fan base. So yeah. I did not watch the David Tepper press conference. Uh, I guess we'll talk about that in a little bit in our final segment about the Panthers. Uh, another question about Tepper. How could it be worse than Tepper? Yeah, that's not possible. All right, we'll get into that in a little bit. Michael says he gave zero to your question of selling why season ticket holders should hang on. I mean, he did say he's going to be as visible as possible, and he talked about, you know, it needs everybody but like i don't know is he supposed to get on his knees and beg people to <laughs> maybe so maybe if he got on his knees and begged people to still sign up for season tickets i think i think look you're gonna see a, di a dip in season ticket sales next year naturally my argument was i can't remember if i said it on the show or somebody on the phone yesterday that to get the fans back you're gonna have to start next season's schedule three and one which is doable you open with Norfolk State, then you go to ODU, then you host App, and then you have At Liberty. I mean, Liberty's good. They haven't played anybody. We get to see Jamie Chadwell versus Mike Houston, which will be entertaining based on their past. <laughs> Forgot about that. Uh, App State comes here for the first time uh, in a long time, and I think that's a winnable game. And then Old Dominion ECU has beaten three times in a row, dating back to, to Scotty Moe. So no Power 5 teams on your schedule next year, Bobby. So my, my thing is you got to win games. At least the schedule next year sets up for a win in the opener, knock on wood, and some momentum to get some people back on board. Yeah, and even taking a step further, I think you have to nail the OC hire, and I think you have to nail the transfer portal this, this offseason here to keep those fans excited for season tickets. And to your point, that taking kind of tying in Gilbert's press conference too, talking about the 12-team playoff format and scheduling and all that. I mean, this schedule is going to be very, very favorable um, this season. And I know going in, 
uh, to this 2023 season. We didn't think it was going to be as favorable as it turned out to be. Um, but I think 24, I mean, you mentioned it there. You should start off with a win with Norfolk State. You got Liberty, Old Dominion, App State at home. Um, so, again, and then you roll right into conference play. So there's no reason – uh, you cannot start 4-0, and 3-1 at a minimum, in my opinion. And in, in tying that in with that 12-playoff format, that really sets you up to make a run there if you can you know, have a 12-0, 11-1 season. I know we're jumping the gun. We're just coming off a 2-10 and 10 deal. So I'm, I understand that. But just in theory, yeah. I mean, if you if, – again, if we're, we're hearing that the defense is largely going to stay together as things stand now. And if you get the OC and quarterback, there's a path to a quick turnaround. Right. I mean, there 100% is. Uh, Jack says, do you think Mike Houston has the ability to self-reflect on his failures this year to make the necessary changes? I, I do. Uh, this comes from conversations from people around the program since the season ended. I, I think there are going to be big changes offensively. I mean, I just – hearing some of the names really over the last 30 minutes tossed around with the OC search, I think it's clear ECU's going in a very different direction there. And so – that that tells me alone that he's going to change. If he's basically thinking about changing his entire offensive mentality, I would say. Yeah, and you see how I saw how defeated he was after that the uh, Tulsa game there in that press conference. Like guys, like these coaches are human beings too. They understand. I mean, he gets it. He knows. I I don't like his career. He's at a point right now. His career's on the line in the sense of advancing. So like it's. For him, it's you make this change or else you're probably going down a level or you're going back to a coordinator or a position coach or something like that. So, I mean, for his livelihood and career, he has to make this change. No doubt, and I think he will, and we'll see We'll see how much to what degree he will change. You know, we've, we've gotten a lot of talk about game management as well, clock management, that sort of things. I think there are areas that, you know, he can continue to grow, and I think he would be the first to say that as well. Uh, coach is always growing um, – you know, in this business, even the veteran coaches. And I'll say yep. this too, just jumping in. Um, I mean, back when I was coaching here, like the first thing, like even with Lincoln and then Nickel and Rick Smith, all the coordinators that you're in the room with watching film, the first thing you do that morning is you go in there and you watch film, you watch a play over, ah, I F that up. I screwed that up. <laughs> you know, I, they all know that they made a mistake in a play call. They all know they made a mistake. And sometimes it's in the locker room or on the plane after the game, like just talking about things. I, I shouldn't have made that call. I made a bad decision there. Like you don't hear it necessarily in the media as much, but I promise you in those, in those film rooms, in those conversations, those things are being said. All these coaches are pretty understanding of when they make a mistake. They're harder on themselves than, than y'all are on them. I promise you that. All right, we got the all-conference teams and five representatives from ECU. Julius Wood, first-team selection, well-deserved, Bobby. I think, you know, if you had to pick a defensive MVP, he's certainly up there. Just the way he plays the game, leads your team in tackles, just an absolute stud. Yeah, yeah, and well-deserving. I'm glad the AAC honored that, even though the poor year that we had as a team, they honored his stellar play, giving him first-team honors, well-deserving. Second team picks, defensive lineman Deontay Johnson, who was just dominant the second half of the year, and Savon. By the way, it is Savon, guys, not Siobhan. I clarified this with Savon the other day. Uh, Savon Revel, cornerback, second team selection. So Deontay Johnson, Savon Revel, 
uh, two juniors who are projected to be back next year. Two really solid foundation pieces, too. Yeah, it's, oh, yeah, it's awesome. Again, I, seeing these defensive names is not surprising. Uh, two of them already in the secondary of the, what's been mentioned. That's awesome. Third team selection, Jeremy Lewis. He wraps up his career with an all-conference pick. Him and Julius Wood are seniors. And then Chad Stevens, the redshirt junior, honorable mention uh, defensive end. So five guys listed, three make the act, or four make the actual team. And then you got Chad Stevens, honorable mention. So all-conference honors, five for the Pirates. Good to see the defense being well-represented. All right, let's get a break in. We will come back. We will talk about the Carolina Panthers a bit, David Tepper. And we'll get some rants from Bobby Harward and Philip Pilkington. We'll do that. We'll continue our ECU discussion as well on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo. How good is this on 94.3 The Game? Welcome back in. Hoist the Colors Wednesday. Bobby Howard is in studio. Philip Pilkington producing. We're going to get the Carolina Panthers and David Tepper discussion in a minute. Uh, Tim Smith, who is the father-in-law of Bobby, with a couple of comments. He commented earlier, NIL is not now synonymous with college athletics, like it or not. That's why we talk about it all the time. And his next comment kind of goes with that. He says, Siobhan Revel, or Savon Revel will be the next Denver Broncos, Jaquan McMillian. And he put McMillian in quotes uh, based on the pronunciation from one Joe Buck. Dude, how awesome would ago. that be for you oh, watching dude, on Sundays? If, if Savon Revel and Jaquan McMillian, McMillian, Apparently it's Jaquan, by the way. Jaquan McMillan. Or excuse me. Jaquan MacMillan is the official pronouncement. How weird is that? Dude, my question is why do we figure this stuff out I don't like know. years after why don't the players say something when they first get here? I don't know. that's that's my thing. Is like we we pronounce it. I've been calling Savon Siobhan for a long time. And finally he uh he mentioned something to Malcolm Gray and we got it figured out. So but yeah, Jaquan MacMillan. <laughs> It sounds so weird to say. Dude, it sounds like that Key and Peel skit, honestly, right. saying it. Yeah. <laughs> or something that would be in a, with the so much, much emphasis on the Mac, it sounds like something on the McDonald's menu. I know. It's, uh, <laughs> Mac Nuggets. Now I, may, now I have to like think about it every time I say it because I've said it Jaquan McMillan for five years. All right. Um, anyways, I was going to say uh, we, we raised a bunch of money through Hoist the Colors NIL initiative yesterday. I'm going to give that all to Team Boneyard. It's a whole story. But either way, I talked to Savon, and he said he is down to uh, to do some stuff with Hoist the Colors uh, as part of an NIL uh, deal starting in January. So that's a great sign for ECU because he is definitely a key piece, all-conference piece of this defense. So we're going to get a couple of those guys involved with the show uh, next year, and we're working on that. All right. Carolina Panthers, guys, David Tepper, and I think I've said this on the air before, I covered the Panthers through the 2018 season, I believe, and I think David Tepper had just been hired when I was doing that for 24-7 sports, and at the time I said this is either going to go really badly or really great based on his personality and his wallet, and unfortunately for Panthers fans, it has gone extremely poorly. They are a disaster in every sense of the word. And I'm going to let you guys take it away as Panther fans. And I'll I'll chime in when I can. But David Tepper, you said he held his press conference yesterday, Bobby, and it didn't go so well. So just where is this thing right now? Like, are there, is there any possibility it gets better? I think it is still, we talked a little bit about this off the air. I think it is still in the free fall on the way down. 
I don't think it has hit rock bottom yet, unfortunately. And I think it will take probably another hire or two, or should I say fail hire or two for maybe, you know, him to get the, the idea or the picture. But I mean, it's not just with the Panthers. It's everything he touches in athletics and, and in sports. It is Charlotte FC. It's Tepper sports and entertainment. Again, executives are leaving there. Um, I mean, two people I've heard met, or three people I've heard mentioned already: Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh, and Bill O'Brien. Those are three all. I mean, the amount of stories that are going to come out in the media for those three guys. One of them just bumping heads with David Tepper. It's it's really embarrassing. It's sad, um, and I guess I don't get how it goes this wrong and you don't see that you're the issue. Like, where is the self-reflection in there? There is zero based upon what's happening because he just keeps moving pieces around and making it worse. And and I read an Albert Breer article. So the last, like, two days, I've, you know, just been reading articles and watching <laughs> videos bashing David Tepper. You've just been going <laughs> to either watching the John Gilbert press conference or watching David Tepper videos. <laughs> right, exactly. And... I mean, Albert Breer wrote about it uh, last night, and I thought it was actually a well-written article. I'm a big Albert Breer fan. Um, outside of the AI stuff that Sports Illustrated oh does, um, Albert Breer is pretty solid. And, I mean, he wrote people – I guess he had talked to people that used to work in there. I'm, I'm assuming it's not Reich staff, it's rules. But uh, the way he views things is if there is one mistake – you better stop it before it becomes two. So when anything starts to go wrong in any sense of the way, he has a major freak out and he overcorrects. Hence all the quarterback turnover that has happened year after year since he's taken the job. I mean, he has Dan Snyder left and now he's really getting exposed. And I've said this as a a former or as a Redskins fan, I won't even say former. I'll just say Redskins fan. (laughs) Dan Snyder is a much worse human being than David Tepper is. I think that's pretty fair to say. And I won't put Tepper in that category uh, from the standpoint of he does do a lot of community work and a lot of great things there. Um, but from a meddling standpoint, he is like 10 times worse than what, what Snyder. Snyder would only get involved in like a big signing or a first-round draft pick, which is bad in and of itself, especially when you do no research. But, I mean, from my understanding and reading, Tepper is involved in every aspect. Uh, I mean, even down to who they can trade, who they can't trade. I mean, it goes to the Brian Burns scenario that's for going right ongoing right now. Like, it's just... Philip, take it from me because I can't continue. <sighs> He's going to go the rest of the show. Oh, gosh, yeah. You guys are going to have to tell me it's time to make a, take a break so the other way around. No, to your point, it's you know I kind of said it off air. It was like it's like if Jerry Jones and Dan Snyder had a baby and then you put it on steroids. I mean, you, we've seen how Jerry Jones wants a yes man. There's a reason that Jimmy Johnson was fired after two back-to-back Super Bowl wins. There's a reason Bill Parcells was let go after winning with Quincy Carter and Drew Bledsoe. I think Bill Parcells and Romo could have done a great job together. But this is just my front here for this point is that when owners have too much of a hand in stuff, things go wrong. You are there to write a check. You are an owner. That is your job, to own the team. General managers are there to be a general manager. You know, It's like the movie Moneyball where he goes, look, your job is to coach the team I give you. It was Billy Bean's job to give the manager – the team 
and then it's the coach's job to coach. And everyone needs to stay in their lane, and the second somebody steps out of line, crap hits the fan, and that is what is happening. That is what has happened since the beginning of 2018. There is no sports team in the entire country, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, with a worse winning percentage than the Carolina Panthers since 2019. He is an idiot. He is an egotistical jerk. He has too much of an ego to realize he's the problem. He, This team will suck until he is gone, and I pray to your point, Bobby, that we have not hit rock bottom, and we hit it very soon, and he finally wakes up. I hope there's no flashes of hope like there was with the Redskins for so many years because that kept Dan Snyder along for so long. We need to not win a game for the next like six years just so he can realize, hey, I'm a moron. And maybe the other owners will just vote him out. Maybe they'll realize he's a jerk. From what I understood, the people who work for him don't like working for him. Maybe the other owners won't like working with him. But I am all ready to go marching outside his house with signs that say sell the team. This guy is an idiot. I hate being a fan of the Panthers. I'm one of those people that will never turn on my team, and I still love the team. But it is darn hard to be a fan right now because of who the owner is. I think he is a jerk of a person. I've heard a lot of crap about him. I'll put him in a worse category than Dan Snyder. I know Dan (laughs) Snyder's done some crap, but I think... He is just as corrupt as any other billionaire that is running this country. Now we're going off like some crap I'd say on Henry's show, and I'm not supposed to talking politics on the on the sports station. But yes, he is a corrupt jerk, and he needs to be gone. And gosh darn, if the other owners don't get together and fire him, then the Panther fans need to sign a petition with like a million signatures, and hopefully Roger Goodell will say, you know what, a million people want you fired, you're gone, sell the darn team. This I, is what I came here for this, today. This is it. He would have gone the whole the awesome. whole show if we could have let him. So here's my problem, though. It's like, I, and I agree with you guys, and I made the comment. I think it gets it's one of those situations that keeps getting worse because, like, there is no self-reflection. It's just the blame game. He thinks everybody around him is the issue, and he thinks probably the media is out to get him now, and, and like, instead of – changing his ways he's just going to keep doubling down and doing his crap again and again and again making it worse so what has to happen to force him out i mean because like he owns the team i know the nfl can technically force him to sell it we've seen that we we saw that with jerry richardson but that was like an off the field situation we saw it with dan snyder that was an off the field situation so you can't really force the owner to sell the team because he's a terrible owner dude the amount of (laughs) tweets or posts on X that I have seen that said if Tepper has sexually harassed you or been discriminatory against you in any way, please DM me right now is what the posts say. And unfortunately, that's what's going to have to happen unless he just gets tired of it and tired of getting abused. I mean, here's my thing. Would you have a sports person run his portfolios? Would he have that? Right. Right. So why why are the roles reversed? I get he... Wants to be involved, and I don't mind. You him can be sitting involved in the room, with yeah, but you don't yeah. need to be heavy-handed and stuff. And and that's what I mean. Flipping it to the Manders right now with Josh Harris, that's what's cool with him is he wants to be involved, and he'll ask questions of why, but he's not going to make a dis- put his opinion in to sway a decision one way or the other. I mean, how many people work out there, and your boss says something, and you're like, oh yeah, okay, maybe I will agree with that now. You know, I mean. That's what happens a lot in the real world, and that's what happens a lot in sports. And when Tepper says, oh, yeah, I think I like Bryce Young, or his wife, Nicole Tepper, says, oh, yeah, I like Bryce Young, I think that has some sway in the decisions there. I don't know. You know, I I will believe that Bryce Young was a unanimous decision. Um, I, 
I won't go that far, but when you have trade, I mean, look what they gave away trade wise. They traded Christian McCaffrey, the best running back of the NFL, and they traded away DJ Moore. And who is he? I mean, that's the first thing I said after they made that trade. Who's he going to throw to now? Yeah. And he's still looking. Well, the only reason we made the McCaffrey trade is because this moron, him and <laughs> Scott Fitter, who are both idiots, kept trading for no-name quarterbacks. And we didn't have any draft picks. You had to trade McCaffrey to get some of your draft capital back, which we then turned around and traded back away for a quarterback. When teams sell the farm, it doesn't work. Okay? Bobby, you are a Washington the NFL franchise fan, whatever the heck the Hopefully mascot Hopefully future is. Red Tails yeah. or Red Wolves. They, when they traded the farm for RG3, that's how the Rams built what they got. So I, I do and, have to stop you here. I'm sorry. No, okay. finish, and then I'll okay. tell a story And after. then how the Cowboys got three Super Bowl wins was because of the Herschel Walker trade when the Vikings sold the farm for Herschel Walker. It doesn't work. The only time in the history of the NFL that you've traded away multiple first-round picks, and it has worked – Straight up was when the Rams sold for Matthew Stafford, but they were truly quarterback away, and they got the Super Bowl that one year, and they've been crap ever since. I would take being crap for one Super Bowl, so I get why they did it, but that's the only time it's ever worked. Um, do we need to get a break in? Yeah, maybe we should. We got to get. I want Bobby to get to this point, but let's get a break. That way, he has the. We'll hit it, yeah, we'll go to the break, and then we'll get it. When that we way, get we back. don't <laughs> we don't run into other. Stay content. over the commercial break yeah. for this story. All right, we'll get a break in. We'll come back. Bobby Howard will have his closing thoughts and point. This is Hoist the Colors and Carolina Panthers talk on a Wednesday. All right, let's go. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Iko. Hang up me, Aussie show hoe. 194.3, the game. Welcome back in. Wrapping things up, all right, let's, let's quickly turn it over to Bobby Howard. we got about a minute left. He has to finish the story about the Washington Commanders not yes. trading the farm. Well, or it's or about the just farm, them yeah. trading the farm. You, We talked about the RG3. RG3 trade. (laughs) And uh, so um, Harold Robinson, Eastern North Carolina legend, uh, had season tickets. So when I was on staff, uh, once, you know, into the offseason, he gave me some of his tickets to go to one of the games. So I took my wife. um, I think we were engaged at the time, maybe just dating. But she had never been to an NFL game. So I took her. I was like, let's go see the Redskins. Um, let's go watch them play the Rams. The the Saint. I don't know if they were still St. Louis then. But anyways, we're on the way up there. I force her to learn Hail to the Redskins, learn the fight song. Um, we ride the Metro into the game. It is freezing at the game. Uh, anybody that knows my wife that's listening knows she carries a heater with her around the house at all times. So she's like... Like our first argument and one of our biggest argument is over purchasing a heater. Is can you get the rest in thirty seconds? Yes, I can. (laughs) (laughs) So we go to the game. John Fisher trots out all the guys they got in the trade. I make her learn the fight song for when we score points and we get shut out by the Rams. That's tough. Hence, she hates the Redskins now. And now you're is she a Panthers fan? She claims them, but she doesn't really watch the NFL much. Probably, probably a good thing between the Panthers and Manders right now. All right, we got to get out of here. We'll be back tomorrow, 12 noon, with Casey Romaley, ECU UNCW preview. See you then. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 The Game.